Let us now pray. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Help us now to hear and obey what you say to us today. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Old Testament reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Today's New Testament reading comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. The new life in Christ. Listen for the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the encourager in encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader 
in diligence, the compassionate, and cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God of mercy, thank you for your word that teaches us how to live in community with one another. As we share this time together, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's sermon title is Unified in Jesus Christ. So we who are many are one body in Christ. Wouldn't it be nice if Christians were unified at church? Wouldn't it be nice to come to church and be on one accord in every discussion at every meeting? In our planning for special ministries and mission and activities, having the perfect idea with the perfect volunteers awaiting in the wings and able to serve. I know Grace Covenant already has that perfect combination, right? Wouldn't it be nice if all Christians in the United States were unified? What would that look like? Because we love God and love our neighbors as ourselves, we would not have all the different church denominations because we are one body in Christ. We would worship with one another and it would not matter in which church structure we worshiped because we are united in Christ. And wouldn't it be nice if Christians all over the world were unified? Wouldn't it be nice if Christian nations and majority Christian nations worked together for the world peace and an end to world hunger, human trafficking, slave labor, and all the ails of this world? Wouldn't it be nice if Christians all over the world united in Christ in a way that affected positive change on a global scale. It would indeed be nice, and what a beautiful world it would be. Up to this point in Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, he spoke about the sin nature of humankind, the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ, and being freed from sin. Also, he spoke about God's people, Israel, their past, present, and future. Here, in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, Paul explains how to live a new life in Christ, in community with fellow believers. Verse 1 naturally follows all that Paul said in the previous chapter of the mysteries and wisdom of God and the salvation both Jews and Gentiles have through the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul appealed to his brothers and sisters in Rome to offer their holy and acceptable beings as a living sacrifice to our merciful God. Paul wanted them to know that their new life in Christ was purposed for spiritual worship of God and in, that it is holy and pleasing, a holy and pleasing way of sacrificial living in obedience to God's will. 
and for the Christians in Rome to present themselves to God in spiritual worship, they must not be conformed to this world. In other words, Paul said to them, you can live in this world, but you can't be of this world. Why did Paul say this to his brothers and sisters in Rome? Maybe the Jews were acting like their faith was better than their Gentile counterparts. Or maybe some were falling away from their faith, but their faith, but whatever the reason, Paul's words were true. Those in Christ must not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind in order to recognize what God's will is for their lives, what is good and acceptable and perfect, transformed from the world because the world is full of sin, and to be conformed to the world is to live in sin and worshiping things other than our triune God. Conforming to the world leads to boastfulness and being self-centered, and it leads to, as Paul said in uh, verse 3, thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Conforming to the world leads to a multitude of sin, including thinking your gift or talent is better than anyone else's gift or talent. What does conforming to the world look like for us today? In what ways are we conformed to this world? Does it look like competing for the next job promotion or feeling superior because our job title or, or, or that we are a member of an elite social club? What conforming to the world looks like is not living in obedience to God or not worshiping God with our daily lives. Paul appealed to his brothers and sisters in Rome according to God's grace and mercy. He urged them to present themselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, to be transformed by the renewing of their minds and to think with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith given to them by God. In this passage, Paul directs the attention of his brothers and sisters to God's grace by Jesus Christ, showing them that the only faithful response to God's grace is to worship God in every way, with every ounce of their beings for the rest of their lives. Gone are the days of burnt offerings that we found in the Old Testament. In God's grace and mercy, God offered Jesus the sacrifice once and for all, for all the sins of the world. Because Christ, nothing else stands between humanity and God. Paul exhorts to the, to the Romans to respond by making their embodied selves a living sacrifice, formed and shaped in the active, in the active response to grace. Paul instructs them not to conform to the ways of this age where people define others by a hierarchical system of worth, but rather be transformed so that they might discern the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. All are saved by grace, and the response to God's grace shapes the way of living in community with one another. 
For as in one body we have many members, not all the members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We are unified in Christ by grace through faith given by God. The measure of faith that God has assigned is not measurement as we think with a measuring cup where a person may have weak faith and measuring maybe a mere ounce of faith and another's measure a full gallon, which would represent strong faith. No. Paul actually sets up a standard by which we may judge oneself, the measure of faith. That is the standard. That is the, the standard assigned by God. There is more to be said about the rival between strong faith and weak faith. The measure of faith is the same for all. Throughout the letter so far, faith is the same for everybody. Chapter 3, verses 27 through 30 says, Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. Through what kind of law? That of works? No, rather through the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Or is God the God of Jews alone? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one, and he will justify the circumcised on the grounds of faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Paul's point here is not that some should give themselves to heirs and that others should feel inferior, but that all should exercise their very gifts on a level one with another. Branches were broken off because of unbelief. You only stand fast because of your faith. And the branches themselves can be grafted in again if they do not remain in unbelief. So do not think of yourselves too highly. The measure here is not a kind of measuring cup containing different amounts of faith apportioned to different people, but a measuring rod, the same for all, and it is called faith. With this in mind, Paul adds that we have gifts, gifts of every kind, gifts different from one another, gifts according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry and ministering, the teacher and teaching, the encourager and encouragement, the giver and sincerity, the leader and diligence, the compassionate and cheerfulness. One body in Christ, many members with many different gifts. Paul uses the analogy of the members of the body to illustrate God to God, God's people were made to be in community with one another, unified in Jesus Christ. Similarly, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also in Philippians chapter 2 concerning spiritual gifts. And in both cases, what really counts is that the community Paul is addressing 
is to be shaped by Christ himself, in Christ. Christians are to strive for unity. In the present passage too, we would be right to see Christ as the shaping force and God as equipped God's people for a particular task or gift. God equips us with the right gifts and designates the right time and space for us to execute these gifts. We all have a role to play in God's history. For example, in our Old Testament reading, Exodus begins with the story of Israel's increasing subjection to Egypt and ends with the promise of divine deliverance in the story of baby Moses. Along the way, many characters contributed to the deliverance in quiet and crucial ways. You have the midwives who feared God and did not kill the baby boys uh, uh, during childbirth as commanded by the king of Egypt. In today's reading, the, the mother of baby Moses put him in a basket and his sister placed him in the river and watched him float to the hands of Pharaoh's daughter. Here are members of a community of faith with diverse gifts and roles participating in the larger plan of God, whether they knew it or not. Paul counsels his brothers and sisters in Rome to respond to God's mercy by presenting themselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, in spiritual worship transformed by the renewing of their minds to be united in the community of Christ. Friends in Christ, God wants us to respond to God's mercy by sacrificial, sacrificially living our lives for God, being transformed by the renewing of our minds, and using our gifts to be united in the body of Christ. Is this what God wants from us? And if it is, how are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do? It is indeed what God wants from us. And the first step in our giving our life to Christ, we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. God expects us to worship him every day in every aspect, aspect of our lives. God wants us to give God the glory when we rise in the morning and when we go to lay our heads down at night. God wants us to acknowledge his presence in all that we do because he is Emmanuel, God with us. So when we are at work having a good day or a not so good day, he wants to hear from you. Say a breath prayer thanking God for the blessing of employment and asking God to help you make it through a challenging project. When you need anything, God wants you to call on him and he will see you through. As you go about your daily routine, God wants you to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Matthew 5 and 14 and 16 says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Second, to be transformed by renewing of the mind. When we are baptized into the body of Christ, we are transformed. 
We turn from our old way of life and start a new life in Christ. We start off on fire, and somewhere along the way, that fire gets dampened by the busyness and trials and temptations of life. As Christians, we are called to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, and we need to take every advantage of the resources that enable us to do so. One way is to stay, to stay transformed by renewing of the mind is to read your Bible daily. And some might think, hey, you know what? I've read that Bible cover to cover. I go to church every Sunday. Well, I'm here to tell you, that's not good enough. Many of us have read the Bible and continue to read the Bible, and God never fails to reveal something new. And if you've never read the Bible cover to cover, I challenge you to try it. The Bible has every literary genre, and you won't be disappointed. Also, friends, to be transformed and renewed, God longs for you to pray. God longs to hear from you. So carve out some time outside of mealtime and bedtime prayers to have a one-on-one -on -one chat with God. You can pour out your soul to God, and God will listen. When you take the time to communicate with God through prayer, it can be a peaceful and renewing experience. Just ask the prayer team. On Wednesday nights, we gather together and we pray. We pray for you, we pray for our community, we pray for the world, and we are finished, we are relieved. We actually sigh at the end. It is such a good feeling. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Finally, friends, to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God, transformed by the renewing of your mind, you must be connected to the body of Christ, the church. God, our creator, supplied each of us with gifts to share and work together in this body. Gifts differ according to the grace given to us. Some of us have the gift of teaching, so come and teach Sunday school. Others have the gift of hospitality, so volunteer, be an usher, sign up to serve during the social hour. What is your gift? What is it that God has given you that you can share in God's community? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do not be conformed to this age, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And we who are many will be united in Jesus Christ. Amen.